0: You're listening to a CNA Podcast.
1: From zero COVID to zero quarantine, China will scrap its five-day mandatory quarantine for
2: incoming travellers and will resume issuing visas for Chinese travelling abroad. Well, in China, people are rushing to submit their passport applications. COVID-19 border controls were eased just yesterday.
3: It's hard to believe three years ago people were told not to leave their homes. A time when playgrounds sat empty, signs warned children to stay away, when leisure air travel was simply not an option. China took things a step further though, at one point adopting a zero-COVID policy. Entire cities closed. It has been six months now since Beijing made sweeping changes and scrapped that approach. But some say... The reopening has been just as hard as the lockdowns. China correspondent Lo Min, Min Hong Kong correspondent Deborah Wong and Vietnam correspondent Tung No join me to talk about that. Hey guys, good to see you. Good, good to, see you. to see you. Hi, good to see you. I wore a mask in the taxi to get to this recording today, and to be honest, I don't know when I'm going to let go of that legacy of the pandemic. How about you guys? Has life changed post-COVID, Min Min?
2: Yes, life has changed tremendously since China opened up from zero COVID. I am not wearing a mask most of the time now. But interestingly, I just attended the, the World Economic Forum in Tianjin, and to attend the opening plenary by Chinese Premier Li Qiang, Journalists were required to take a PCR swab test 24 hours prior to entering the venue. And in my hotel room, where I am right now, I received a welcome gift of a pack of rapid antigen test kits as well. (laughs) Um, But other than that, life is pretty much back to normal, almost like pre-pandemic times. How about you, Deb? Well, you know, Hong Kong used to be such
0: a convenient place to travel to from Southeast Asia. So during the isolation, we immediately felt the difference. There was a complete lack of crowds. It was quite easy, honestly, as a commuter to get a seat on the train. And, you know, I didn't have to jostle with people on the streets, especially at Causeway Bay, you know. But since the reopening, I can't get a seat on the train. <laughs> I can't walk in a straight line on any street during lunchtime. So the tourists are definitely back. But, you know, it's like King Teresa with your masks. Any traveller coming to Hong Kong, they also ask me, do I need to take a COVID test? Do I need to show proof of vaccination? Now, you don't have to do any of that anymore, but because Hong Kong was one of the few places with all these requirements for such a long time, it does feel pretty surreal even for me that they're no longer needed.
3: Mm-hmm. How about you, Tung? What about in Vietnam? Has anything changed?
1: I now carry hand sanitizer gel with me almost every time I leave my house. So this is a habit I picked up uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic in Vietnam. So the answer to your question, Teresa, is yes, uh, life has changed in many ways post-COVID. And for many people in Vietnam, they are still struggling uh, to adjust to the changes that COVID-19 brought to their lives.
3: Minmin, I remember talking to you in an earlier episode about the lockdown in Shanghai. You said it was like a shock, right, to suddenly be given your freedoms back when the lockdown was lifted. China relaxed its COVID restrictions nationwide in late December and then reopened its borders in January of this year. In those first few days and first few weeks, how optimistic were people in China that things were going to be back to how they once were?
2: Yeah, if you were to just walk around the streets of Shanghai right now, you wouldn't imagine that a year ago, the city had just emerged from a brutal two-month lockdown where people were struggling to get food and businesses were fighting for survival. We just celebrated the Dragon Boat Festival holiday recently and the streets were absolutely packed with people. We are talking about crowds that were so huge that the police had to set up cordons at road junctions to manage the human traffic. So tourism numbers are up. Evidently, people really want to be out and about after a year of on and off lockdowns. But although tourism trips in this recent holiday exceeded the numbers in 2019 by about 12%, revenue though has dropped by about 5%. What this means is that more people are willing to go out, but they are spending less money than before. So consumer sentiment still hasn't recovered fully.
3: Oh, that's very interesting. You talk about being out and about. What about in Macau, Deb? Tourism, huge for their economy. And I'm sure as soon as they heard about the mainland borders reopening, businesses were probably eager to make money again.
0: Yeah, they were definitely eager to make money. You know, I just want to give you a sense of how dependent Macau is on gaming and tourism. So it is the only place on Chinese soil where gambling is legal and uh, back then, before the pandemic, it made about 36 billion US dollars in gaming revenue uh, in 2019. So that accounts for over half of the city's city's GDP. But, you know, when the pandemic hit, uh, casino closures, they actually sent revenue plunging by about 30%. So definitely when the controls were lifted, it was such a huge relief for operators. But, you know, the pickup, like what in experience is still going to be really, really slow because there are immediate challenges uh, such as the lack of manpower for one. Hotels, they still can't operate at full capacity because they simply don't have enough staff to manage the tourist demand. And we're also talking about uh, associated industries such as the tour coaches. They need to rehire drivers as well. So cross boundary tours are not coming back at full capacity. And when we look at the demographic of tourists, uh, most of the tourists are still from the mainland, uh, mainly because flights to Macau they are still pretty limited, so visitors entering the city are only coming through land border controls like Thu Hai or even from Hong Kong.
3: Hmm. And about 2,400 kilometers away is Vietnam. But the fallout from Beijing's zero-COVID policy was also
1: felt there, right, Tung? It was. It was felt in Vietnam in some very bad ways, Teresa. Vietnam changed its strategy and started to abandon its COVID-19 measures in March last year. But China didn't do so until nine months later, and with that nine months, it hurt many Vietnamese farmers and businesses. It damaged Vietnam's exports to China. Although Vietnam economy rebounded strongly uh, last year with about 8% uh, in GDP growth, recovery of many sectors and businesses was badly affected by China's zero tolerance of COVID-19 outbreaks uh, during that period. Vietnamese farmers suffered, some went bankrupt because they uh, could not sell their produce to China. And for Vietnam, China is its biggest trading partner, second biggest export market. And the two countries are closely linked to, uh, in the regional supply chain. So uh, Vietnam's economic performance is closely linked to the dynamics of China's economy.
3: All right, so China finally reopened its borders in January. But instead of full speed ahead... Hold on, here comes inflation with a capital I. Uh, What impact has global inflation had on people who are looking for work, Min Min?
2: Well, China is kind of bucking the global trend here. While the rest of the world is grappling with high inflation, domestically China's inflation remains relatively low and stable. Experts say that that's because domestic spending is not really strong enough to push inflation up. So that's actually a problem. Global inflation has led to a shortfall in exports demand for Chinese goods. So they really need domestic spending to pick up, to drive growth in the economy, because China can no longer rely on exports to be the main driver of growth. So I recently went on a reporting trip to Shenzhen, which is a southern manufacturing hub of China. And at the long-distance transport station, which is typically where the migrant workers would arrive at when they come to Shenzhen, I saw a whole row of at least 50 men just sleeping in the streets outside the station, which also happens to be where an entire row of recruitment agencies have set up shop to hire these low-wage migrant workers. And these men, they're sleeping there because... Demand for workers have not improved that much after China opened up from zero Covid. So wages are depressed, and some of the men, they're just not willing to work for such low rates. So they are waiting, they're shopping around for the best opportunities. I've already been here for more than two months. The market is no good now. Many people can't find jobs. During the pandemic, it was a little better. At that time, there were still positions for anti-pandemic security guards and so on. Now, there are no such jobs available.
3: Wow, that sight of so many men just just waiting, right Min Min? Okay, for those from the mainland with money to spend, the glittering lights of Macau is often where they go. Some head to Hong Kong. Deb, have tourist dollars returned? Or has COVID changed people's travel habits?
0: Well, the tourist dollar hasn't quite returned just yet. Partly also because Chinese visitor arrivals are only at 36% of pre-pandemic levels. And another interesting reason is the shift in travel itineraries. So Macau and Hong Kong used to be go-to places for luxury shopping. It was pretty common to see mainland Chinese shoppers drag around luggages along Causeway Bay, along any of the casinos, you know, and they would fill up. An entire day's worth of shopping and all these luggage. But you know, this time around, all these shops, they are much quieter. For Macau specifically, I was in Macau two months ago for a work trip. And the casino shops where you see Louis Vuitton, you see Hermes, uh, they were all pretty quiet. The crowds, in fact, were flocking to Taipa Village. And that's where the street food markets were. So that was pretty interesting to see. And for Hong Kong and Macau, both cities are seeing more independent travelers instead who are more... Interested in local experiences, basically things that you can't find in mainland China. So people are going for uh, cultural festivals, uh, the Dragon Boat Festival that took place just last weekend, and we also had the Chongqing Ban Festival, quite an iconic festival. Uh, sometime in Maine. they're filling up on street food as well. So they're also joining walking tours that takes them through uh, quieter neighborhoods that were previously not on the tourist radar. I joined one tour just to experience how it was like and. The tour guide brought me to a preserved cut shop that was 118 years old. It's owned by fourth generation owners right now, and it's located in Jordan, in a pretty residential neighborhood somewhere in Kowloon. So this shop used to be quite a well-kept secret, only among locals. But since it's become a pit stop on all these guided tours, tourists have been flocking there and the fourth gen owners have actually tweak some recipes to cater to modern palates. And one very interesting recipe that I found was this carbonara sauce, made entirely from preserved beans. So I thought that was pretty interesting.
2: We run a family business. When tourists come in, they tend to chat with us. This also makes us different from other shops in the malls, where the staff
0: don't have as good a relationship with the customers as we do. We want our visitors to feel at home. This feeling is more important when it comes to the development of the city.
3: Wow, carbonara sauce from preserved bean curd. I would actually love to try that. (laughs) All right, stay with us. Coming up, from pasta to produce. Vietnam is home to tens of thousands of lychee farmers. Tung tells us why they're celebrating after this.
2: Are you looking for ways to make your money work harder? Tips on saving, investing or retiring early perhaps? Or advice on big-ticket decisions like buying a house or owning a car? I'm Andrea Heng, host of CNA's top personal finance podcast, Money Talks. And these are some of the things we find out for you. Each week, I get a guest to share personal stories and answer burning questions that help you make sense of the latest financial trends. Go check out the complete Money Talks playlist on the CNA app, Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts.
3: Welcome back. Tung, I love fruits. One of my favorites is lychee. And I know Vietnam exports its sweetest and juiciest to China. How have farmers' harvests been this year? What did they tell you?
1: We are now in peak season for lychee, and I visited Vietnam's biggest lychee plantation in northern Bắc Giang province, an area about a three-hour drive from the capital Hanoi. Farmers there told me the harvest this year is good and is better than the last harvest last year. But what really makes them happy is uh, Vietnam's land border with China is fully open this year without any COVID-19 restrictions. And it means the LH harvest can be exported to China this year much easier when China's zero COVID-19 was still in place compared to last year. It also means that Vietnamese lychee farmers there can sell their produce at higher prices. China is the biggest market that takes up to 70 to 80% of Vietnam's lychee. Prices now range from half a dollar to a dollar per kilogram of lychee, depending on the quality. Uh, Many say that the price at that range uh, does help them bring in a decent economic return. When I was there, Chinese traders are back uh, to Vietnam, they are busily working with their Vietnamese partners in several towns located in Vietnam's lychee region to buy the produce. And in these towns, shops along the main road are turned into temporary trading posts. So farmers carry their lychee on uh, small scooters to the market of this kind every morning, Each farmer can uh, carry about uh, 200 kilograms of lychee on a moped and uh, they drive up and down the road where buyers were standing waiting in to offer prices based on visual evaluations of lychee. The market itself would start very early at 5 in the morning and it finished around 8 a.m. The lychee after that is sorted, packaged and loaded onto containers, And trucks heading to uh, Vietnam's border with China.
3: Did you get to try any?
1: Oh, I uh, tried uh, loads of it and uh, (laughs) a lot. uh, I I had a blast (laughs) and uh, I had so many (laughs) lychees. In the name of research, of course. Yeah.
3: Okay, so Tung, uh, besides lychee, what about other food products that are destined for China? How significant are those exports to Vietnam's economy?
1: Well, not. Everyone in Vietnam is uh, benefiting from China's reopening the same way as the, the light Chi farmers are. Uh, prior to the uh, the reopening, there was huge expectations in Vietnam on the possible impact of China's reopening in the way that it would help boost Vietnam's tourism, trade and economic growth. But so far the impact has not been what was expected, less significant than expected, rather, as China's economic recovery is splattering, factory activity there has slumped to its weakest level since China ended its zero-COVID policy. Chinese tourists are back in Vietnam, but only at uh, around 35% of its pre-COVID level. Vietnam-China bilateral trade declined year on year. Some major declines were seen in Vietnam's export in smartphones, electronics, fisheries, textile to China. In terms of fisheries, uh, the export to China have declined for about uh, 30% year on year. But among the biggest winners in Vietnam are fruits and vegetable exporters with export value to China grew exponentially in the last uh, six months. It's up about 50% year on year, and that increase is mainly thanks to export to China, especially in wheat produce like durian or dragon fruits.
3: Minmin, I want to talk about what's next. Besides inflation, Sino-U.S. tensions are really not helping manufacturers who are trying to get back on their feet. How optimistic are they and what options do they have now?
2: So people in the business community that I've spoken to say that China's biggest incentive is still its large domestic market size. But that is increasingly being overshadowed by geopolitical risks, and that's increasing the cost of doing business as well as the compliance costs. Because we know the US and its allies have been imposing these sanctions on Chinese companies and export controls on China, and in turn, China has hit back by cracking down on some foreign companies, including with rates on due diligence firms and recently a ban on U.S. chipmaker Micron from participating in key infrastructure projects. These actions were taken because of concerns over espionage and network security and national security. And China just passed a new foreign relations law that will kick in this July as well to give it the legal backing to take countermeasures against foreign sanctions. So all of these really add to the the uncertainty of the business environment, making businesses think twice about investing here. And the government is aware of that. We heard Chinese Premier Li Qiang a few days ago to seeking to reassure the international community at the World Economic Forum here in Tianjin, he said that China's growth is on track, that it is committed to open its doors to investments and that countries should not decouple from China. And in a private dialogue with entrepreneurs, he also allayed their fears by mentioning that security is a precondition for development and that China will not abuse its so-called security reviews, which she says will only target illegal behaviors by specific companies.
3: And for places like Hong Kong and Macau, Deb, do businesses that you spoke to feel hopeful that they can adapt to this new post-COVID reality? Well,
0: businesses are generally positive, mainly because the benchmark was so low to be with in the last two <laughs> years, right? And economists I spoke to told me that people are slowly coming back, so investor confidence is returning. We've seen relocating firms, relocation firms, sorry. They have seen a spike in queries from companies that have presence in Hong Kong, Employees are returning as well. So traditional shops, for instance, when we're talking about uh, tourist offerings, uh, they're now all the rage on all these guided tours, and they've also started to expand more immersive offerings. So in Changzhou, it's an island off Hong Kong Island, for instance, a place that's famous for the iconic Peng Ong Bao, that's peace buns in English, It's an old school bakery that has launched uh, workshops for visitors. So you don't just go there to eat now. You go there to learn how to make stuff for yourself to eat. (laughs) And the idea is to retain this interest in local experiences. On the macro level, Hong Kong and Macau are going really big on MICE activities. So a large volume of business travellers are returning. And the Hong Kong Tourism Board told me that that in itself has helped boost a lot of spending. Because business travellers... They typically tend to stay in a city a little longer than regular tourists, so there's a concerted effort to draw people back to malls, uh, conventional tourist hotspots like Ocean Park, Lantau Cao Car, and fine dining restaurants. And, you know, the government has been giving out tourist vouchers to channel some traffic there. So all in all, I think business sentiment is growing well.
3: Yeah, it's uh, amazing just how reminded we are because of COVID of how connected the the global economy is. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure, Min Min, Deb, and Tung. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Catch up with them anytime on cna.asia. The team behind this episode is Saya Nguyen, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and me, Teresa Tang. Until next time.